The following activity is brought to you by the American Urological Association. The American Urological Association is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, to provide continuing medical education for physicians. To learn how to claim CME credit for participation in this activity, or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auau.auanet.org. Support for this activity is provided by independent educational grants from Astellis, Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals, Inc., Genentech, Janssen Biotech, Inc., administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs, LLC, Merck, and Pfizer, Inc. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is uh, Jay Raman, and I'm professor of urology at Penn State Health and chair of the AUA's Office of Education. It's my pleasure to host another episode of our educational podcast uh, series. And, and this particular podcast is part of a smaller series that seeks to explore uh, the impact of uh, race, gender, and, and other disparities on treatment outcomes. Um, it's really my pleasure to introduce my two guests today who uh, are very well-known thought leaders uh, in the field. Uh, the first is uh, Dr. Kelvin Moses. Dr. Moses is Associate Professor of Urology at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center, uh, as well as being the Director of the Urologic Oncology Fellowship and the Director of the Comprehensive Prostate Cancer Clinic. Uh, his research has really focused on addressing health disparities uh, for urologic cancers, uh, as well as determining the role of health literacy uh, in patient interactions at a, at a healthcare system level. Uh, Dr. Underwood, I'm delighted to have him back. He uh, was kind enough to join us on an earlier episode in this series um, and uh, is the director of the Buffalo Center for Health Equity and volunteer clinical associate professor of urology at the University of Buffalo School of Medicine, as well as formerly being um, on staff at Roswell Park Cancer Institute. Um, Dr. Underwood has had a long history of funding, um, uh, both through the NIH and the NCI, as well as Robert Wood Johnson, and has really looked at uh, a lot of work on the, the role of race uh, particularly perhaps in the realm of prostate cancer and treatment uh, decision difficulties, as well as regret. Um, uh, gentlemen, it's really my pleasure to, to have you both here. And, and again, thank you for, for joining me on this uh, really important um, uh, part of our podcast series. Good to be here. It's a pleasure. Thank you and AUA for doing this. Absolutely. So I'll just start off just for housekeeping purposes. Um, we, we sort of have three objectives uh, in today's uh, podcast. The first is to, to look at urologic disparities within the, the overall context of disparities and in, in health overall. Uh, the second is to talk a little bit about the, the Affordable Care Act and, and the impact of it or the effect of it on the access to care uh, particularly perhaps related to uh, racial differences or access um, uh, pertaining to race and, and ethnicity. And, and the last is um, to address an issue that I think is, is becoming more and more important, which is uh, the urologic workforce and, and how diversification of our workforce can actually uh, improve the health outcomes for the patients that we care for. 
So, so uh, Willie and Kelvin, I mean, maybe we'll just start off really broadly and, and, you know, just sort of, I'll ask you the question of, you know, what are health disparities and in, you know, where, where, where are some examples of this or where do we think about this in the realm of urology? Well, I'll start with sort of the, the um, health and human services definition of disparities which they, they list as differences in incidence, disease severity, or mortality uh, within a, a, a particular health condition. In particular, that's a way that's unfair. And so th they made that distinction about fairness because there are some differences that we would expect. Um, we expect cystic fibrosis to mostly affect children of Northern European extraction. We expect breast cancer to be mostly a disease of women. But what we're talking about are differences within groups or between groups that are uh, based on an unfairness or inequity, particularly in the delivery of healthcare. And, and also what I like to add, things that just don't make sense, right? It just really just doesn't make sense. So you say, well, okay, if, if you can't find a difference between two men and they have the same disease and that disease is the same grade, same stage, same everything, but one is more likely to die from it than the other, that's really just doesn't make sense, right? So when we look at cardiovascular disease, when we say things like, well, Okay, we can understand you got diabetes, hypertension. Yes, you're at risk for a heart attack. But when you say I have pain in my chest, radiate down my arm, it goes to my left jaw, and I go to the emergency room, and one person gets an angio, and the other person gets told that they have indigestion, and it's more consistent race upon race, that's something, or gender, that's something that just does not make sense, right? Because my 13-year-old daughter, if I told her I'm having those symptoms, she would say, Daddy, you're having a heart attack until proven otherwise. Right? And I think Calvin's baby will probably say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was certainly babbling. <laughs> so so let, let's, you know, our, our audience is largely you know, urologists or urologic practitioners. So where, where do we see this in, in our field, in our domain? <clears throat> Excuse me. We see it across the spectrum. I think the, the most commonly talked about is prostate cancer. I think that there's sort of a predilection for discussing that just in urology in general. Um, but there are discrepancies even in, in bladder cancer. Black uh, Americans are actually less likely uh, to be diagnosed with bladder cancer, but still have a greater mortality risk. The, what we've seen in prostate cancer has been described you know, thoroughly over the last 30, 40 years. I've been blessed enough to have Dr. Underwood as a mentor. We did uh, some studies uh, just a few years ago together with uh, using the SEER data. And you know, we already knew black men more likely to be diagnosed, more likely to die from prostate cancer. And I think, you know, maybe at one of the meetings, we were just kind of having a discussion and we kept hearing about, you know, well, black men are unhealthier or black men have worse disease or, uh, you know, it's insurance or whatever. And, and as he said, it just didn't make sense. 
And so we, we sort of, uh, we, we made it simple. Okay. All right. Let's take prostate cancer. Let's take it by stage. Let's take it by grade, make everything else equal. And we have, we said in our minds, okay, with low risk disease, maybe not as many people will get treated. This is a little earlier in the active surveillance experience, but certainly as disease escalates, there should be a higher likelihood of treatment. And what we found actually was a reverse trend. It was actually a lower likelihood of receiving treatment for escalating risk of disease. Hmm. It went from our odds of 0.87 or you know 13% uh, lower odds of receiving treatment with lower, low risk disease to almost 40% for high risk disease, right? The people who need treatment the most. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we broke it down that way. Then we turned around and said, okay, well, uh, we all, we kept hearing, well, black men prefer radiation. <clears throat> and despite the fact that we knew that wasn't necessarily true, we said, okay, Let's see if then if we look at each individual treatment type and see what the odds are of receiving that treatment. And let's say radiation is more likely preferred then the percent increase in the odds of receiving radiation would have to outweigh the lower odds of receiving any other treatment. And what we found for each treatment Black men were significantly less likely to receive that particular one, surgery, uh, combination therapy, whatever. And then the radiation uh, odds, or actually it was a relative risk ratio, was only 3% higher. So it cannot account for that difference. So now we've, it, we've broken it down into the absolute, absolute simplest blocks, okay? So at this point, we have to say, okay, it's not making sense where is the difference coming from? And, and that's sort of where, uh, you know, we believe disparities, quote unquote, disparities research needs to go beyond description mm -hmm. now to eradication. And eradication is key, right? So, so when, from a physician's perspective, you know, when I think about this, I, I say, wait a minute, um, I came into medicine to help people. And, and I have to ask myself, what people am I helping? Am I helping all people or am I improving the health care of everyone? And if our job is to improve the health outcomes of everyone, then when you start looking at health equity, health inequities or health disparities, then it's impinging upon us. It's, we have to, as physicians, say that this is unacceptable in our profession and we're willing to do whatever we need to do to resolve this. And, I, and, and we can make excuses and say, you know, all these common things. So I'll just tell you a quick, quick, quick anecdotal story. So I was giving a talk and someone said to me, well, you know, well, black people don't want to get treated. They don't want to come to our facility. They're this and the other. And I say, okay, great. At the end of World War II, or we came in increases, the Japanese automobile industry started to develop. They realized they wanted to sell cars in America. America was a major car market which was dominated by the American car industry, but they knew black people bought cars. Why? Because we couldn't buy homes, but we could purchase cars. So they said, we wanna sell cars to black people. Now, this is what they didn't say. They didn't say, well, we don't know what's wrong with black people, they won't buy our cars. They didn't say, well, they didn't make excuses for it. They hired marketing firms and said, I need you to figure out how to put my car in the parking lot of a black person. 
right? I want Mike, when they go in the vehicle, I want them to be driving our Nissan Toyota's, right? We want them to be driving that. And that's what they did. So healthcare delivery is a business, right? So as physicians, if people are not receiving our product and that's the care that we deliver, then it's dependent upon us to figure out why not and to solve that problem. So we know that black people are not getting appropriate care. We're talking about appropriate care, which is linked to piss poor outcomes, racial differences, looking at prostate, breast, I mean, bladder and kidney, right? We know that. That's for the cancer. And we also know that there's same things that's been now being shown in benign diseases as well. So we sort of have to say, we need to fix that as a profession, as urologists, because it's unacceptable to us. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I think your last point was really important because I, obviously I'm talking to two urologic oncologists. And so a lot of this discussion centers in the realm of, of cancers, prostate cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer. But, but to your point, um, you know, this issue spans not only cancers, right? I mean, it, it does spill over into benign diseases. You know, I, I would say uh, two years ago, two or three years ago, when we came out with the new AUA hematuria guidelines, I think some nice work out of Vanderbilt showed that even the, the rudimentary hematuria evaluations um, were performed at a lower rate in, in African-American men and women when you controlled for all of the same variables, Kelvin, that you mentioned, you know, doing that sort of rigorous analysis. So I, I think that you know, one of the key points is obviously this podcast is talking a lot about cancer, malignancy, prostate cancer, because you both are experts, but, but clearly this is not just a cancer problem, right? This is a, this is a larger um a larger scope issue. So, I mean, take, take me, so I kind of pushed you into talking about urology, but maybe I would say, let's take a step back and, and maybe let's look at and talk to me a little bit about cancers in general. I mean, not just bladder, prostate, kidney, but what about stuff outside of the realm that we treat? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of, what is some of the information on that when you look at race and, and disparities and, and cancers outside of our urology field? Well, I think one of the things, one particular uh, is breast cancer. Uh, breast cancer incidence, again, is, is actually a little slightly higher uh, in white women, but uh, the mortality gap is, is actually quite wide. Uh, black women are less likely to get adjuvant therapy when necessary. They're less, less likely to get breast conserving therapy uh, after lumpectomy. Um, it's seen in colon cancer, it's seen in thyroid cancer, I mean, lung cancer, just it, it's everything. And so it, it goes back to that point of it's, it's not making sense, right? And when I talk with my residents and, and I, I sort of harp on prostate cancer, but I tell them, you know, disparities does not, do not happen in a vacuum. It's all interrelated. And really, I have them read a lot on history and politics and housing and banking and education, because even though those aren't things that we necessarily learn in medical school or maybe not in school at all, they actually all play a huge role. And so that's why you see disparities in all these other cancers and in heart disease and in diabetes and in stroke. And the thing is, we can fix it. Is it, it I think sometimes, especially at bigger meetings, we, we toss out terms like 
uh, non-compliance or uh, entrenched problems or as, as though somehow we can't fix it. But if you look at sort of the opioid crisis as it's so-called, uh, the medical system recognized a problem. Multiple different specialties came together and designed protocols to reduce the amount of opioids. I remember just going, the difference between the 2018 and 2019 AUA, I bet there were 500 posters <laughs> about opioids, right? And I'm sure every other uh, specialty had the same thing. And we've attacked it. And, and you've seen a difference. That means we can do it. That means as a system, as a medical entity, we recognized it and we implemented protocols in order to fix it. And we and and it's probably more cost effective to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it improves outcomes in, in, in various ways. So it's something you mentioned breast cancer and, and a study <laughs> came to mind that actually showed that. Black women are less likely to receive the appropriate dosage of chemotherapy mm. based upon their weight, right? So the dosage based upon their weight, they're actually less likely to receive the appropriate dose. So say, wait a minute, you're less likely to get chemotherapy. And when you receive chemotherapy, you're less likely to get a dosage that's going to matter for you. Come on. Come on, man. How does that make sense to anyone, right? So these are some of the things that we need to think about. Well, what Calvin's saying is true is that I believe this, we're smart enough to solve any problem that we put our mind to solving, that we have the will to solve. Just like the opioid problem, um, just like with any other thing throughout history, where we have said this matters to us, going to the moon even, right? You know, rich folks say, hey, by the way, we're gonna show that we can go in space without NASA, right? That's happening. So all these things is, is happening. So. If we say, listen, these are things are not accepted. And that's why I said that early on. If we say this is not acceptable to us and we need to figure out how to solve it, we'll solve it and we'll solve it quickly. The impacts will be significant and, and, and with alacrity. And if we don't solve it, corporate America might solve it and it might be to our detriment. And, and the reason I say that corporate America is buying up healthcare in huge chunks. And corporate America will certainly recognize, as Paul Farmer from Harvard said, it's actually very expensive to give, give bad care in a rich country. And corporate America is gonna say, okay, physicians, you used to make $700,000 a year, but now you're gonna make $200,000 a year because there's too much heat in the system and that heat is translated into bad outcomes and you're costing us money. So either we do it That's right. or somebody else will. Hmm. Well said. <laughs> so let's talk about, um, you, you know, the, the Affordable Care Act and, and how, what has been the impact of uh, the ACA well, broadly on healthcare, but but maybe specifically with the lens looking at the topic that we're we're covering today, which is um, uh, racial disparities or any any type of uh, of disparities. So, so from my perspective as as a policy person, when I think of so when when I say okay, great, I got a population of people who don't have a ticket to get in the game. We call it health insurance. I call it money, right? Because that's what it really comes down to. 
So if I can't pay for a service or the reimbursement for that service is so low that no one wants that service, then I'm sort of left out based upon my income, right? And my opportunity. So what the ACA did was gave more people opportunity to be able to be to receive the care, right? Now, now there was so much backlash from it and it was bizarre to me because physicians really didn't see the benefit in it. And this is how I looked at it. I said, wait a minute. If we call manufacturing together, let's we put Walmart, Costco, and these groups in the room and said that we're going to give everyone $1,000 to go shopping. You think Walmart would have said, oh, no, we don't want that. They would have said, okay, I'm trying to figure out how to get that $1,000 and another $1,000, right? So I'm, you would have had special sales, right? ACA sale, <laughs> you know, come on in and shop in our store. And, see, and these are the kind of, when I say that, I say that with a joke. But the truth of the matter is, as physicians, we should have said, okay, great. We have a bunch of people out there with unmet need. How do I reach now? You get, get that unmet need to be met in my office, in my practice, in my thing, right? So that would have meant primary care people are now evaluating people, identifying disease earlier and turning that over to us and allowing us to do prostate biopsies, cystos, right? urine analysis, all the things that, that we do, testicular exams, right? We'd have been diagnosing more disease and proving people's outcome. Now, in some places that has happened, right? Am I saying it did happen? No, it did happen. So that's sort of the benefit of it. But I think that as a profession, we didn't utilize it enough or see the benefit of it enough and basically jump at it the way I think another group, another industry would have. And the proof's in the pudding, right? There are multiple studies in different disease states, including benign and, and, and malignant disease, that compared states that participated in Medicaid exchange and those that didn't. And consistently, you're seeing that uh, more people participated, number one, more people received appropriate screening, more people were diagnosed with earlier stage disease, and mortality went down. It, it, it is so simple. And I think uh, physicians uh, were a little short-sighted. I think they thought that uh, their salaries were gonna go down and hospitals thought they were gonna lose money. But in the end, it really turned out that states that participated, you get, it was like 80, 90% would come from the federal side that the state had to take up 10% of the difference. And really the cost savings from pe keeping people from having advanced disease, from showing up in the ER, would have offset that little 10% and maybe even left over, even some, something left over, right? But that goes back to what I was saying when I tell the residents that you have to look at this not in a vacuum. You, you, it doesn't take a genius to look at which states didn't participate and which ones did and look at their historical legacy. And the people with that legacy have actually been quite giddy to leave behind the poor whites and let them suffer as long as they were able to maintain the hierarchical structure that they've set up. And the, the crazy thing is, is that they've convinced those same poor whites to vote exactly like them because they'll bring up other issues or <clears throat> use weighted language that resonates with their sort of primitive side. 
and uh, and vote against their own self interest. Yeah, I've, I when I when I again, uh, you know, when I think about the ACA and I think about what it could do, right? You know, not nothing's perfect, right? There's not a policy of that has ever been a bill, a law that's ever been passed through bill into law that's been regulated, implemented in this country that's been perfect. There's not one, okay? So I don't include, I'm not saying this has been perfect. But what I am saying is that if we truly thought about it and, and the way that I believe Walmart, you know, and Costco, Macy's and every other organization in that aspect would have thought about it, they said, we now have an opportunity to increase the number of consumers of our product. And our product is health care. Okay, right? So we want people to consume this product, not frivolously, not sillyly, right? In a way that they're just doing it, but in a way that improves the health and the health outcomes of this country. And that has positive implications and repercussions in multiple other industries and aspects of America, okay, right? Because the healthier we are, the more productive we are as, as, a, as a nation, right? So we all sort of benefit from that. So, so you, you know, one of the things that we've seen a lot more in, in urology is, is this uh, uh, commitment to diversity, equity, inclusiveness. Obviously within the AUA, there's a task force and, um, and, and, you know, the, the terminology is, you know, obviously we want to try to diversify our pipeline, right? The pipeline of people that are coming through, whether it be urologists or, or nurse practitioners, PAs, but, but people that practice in the, in the realm of urology. So I, I guess, you know, the, 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 the question I would say is, okay, so that's a goal, but what is the, what's, the, what's the end product? Why, why is this important? That this is an this is an initiative that we need to embark on, and and how does that translate to sort of the end game, which is patient care, and and, and I'll sort of turn it over both to you to for your thoughts on that. Well, it's important um, if you look at uh, uh, an editorial from JAMA. It was actually all the way back in two thousand two, and the the gist of it was that the lack of representation of certain populations in healthcare translates to an ignorance of the issues that affect them. So you have to have the people that need your help the most be represented so that when it comes to decision about funding research, when it comes to decisions about providing insurance, when it comes to decisions about uh, uh, anything, access to care, whatever, medication. You need somebody there to represent them. It's just, it's, it's the reason we have a house of representatives, right? Like every community has someone there advocating on their behalf. And if they meet, if they have enough like-minded people, then you can move something forward. And so that's what has to happen in medicine. Uh, the, We've already shown, you know, women provide better surgical care than men. So we need more women in surgery, okay? We've shown that uh, black patients have better outcome and, and better adherence to medical therapy with black physicians. We've also shown that white patients receive excellent care no matter who's sitting across from them. 
And so that's why diverse, diversification is important because we, we, you will, you will <clears throat> excuse me, provide better care. Again, we can look at the corporate world. They've already shown that diverse, uh, companies with diverse corporate boards make more money, they do better, and they actually have more of a civic commitment. And so again, we can, we can either follow corporate America or they can drag us along, but <laughs> they've already shown us the way, okay? So that's why it's very important in medicine. Yeah, I mean, something as, as, as simple as latest in this era, um, uh, maternal fetal deaths, right? The racial difference maternal fetal death. Black women who had a black GYN had lower mortalities than black women who, who had a white GYN, right? I don't know why, okay? I'm not speculating, I'm not saying what's going on there. I'm saying that's sort of a fact. Now, because there are nuances to how we connect to people, how people connect with each other, how, like, I mean, to be honest, I have people call me from all over the United States who are not my patients to ask me questions. And I'm often, like I said, you know, after a while, I'm sort of like, hey, uh, why don't you have this conversation with the cat that's operating on you, right? Why are you asking me these questions? And I realize is that because from their perspective, they have a connection with me who they've even never met, right? They're talking to me on the phone. You know, this is all before we were doing all this virtual stuff that, that they could connect with because they said, wait a minute, this guy understands me in a way that this other person may not. I'm not saying they don't, I said may not, right? So these are some of the things that, that we sort of need to realize. So yes, we need a diverse workforce. We need adequate numbers, equivalent numbers of, of, of black uh, physicians. You know, we're 12% of the population. We should be 12% of the physician workforce. We should be 12% of the urologic workforce, you know, especially when you look at diseases prostate cancer and other diseases that are disproportionately impacting blacks we should have enough enough physicians in these areas to assure that we're providing top-notch care for them but not only that to assure that the patient believes and has someone that they can connect with so again if, if i go back to my car analogy and we looked at it as that way and said our job is to what sell our product then i who do i need to help sell the product in that community it's going to be someone that looks like that community. So that's the bottom line. Simple. That's right. So, so one of the, the maybe the final questions I would ask you both, and I think Kelvin really framed it well, right? Because um, so there's a lot of papers and, and a lot of data that has outlined disparities and the impacts on outcomes. And, and going back to your analogy, Kelvin, the first step was highlighting the opioid crisis or the opioid epidemic. But then I think what you highlighted very nicely was then, then the needle started to move, right? There, there, the needle was moving not to be observational, but to be interventional. So, so you know, I, I sort of finished this with the, okay, there's no doubt that there is a problem. There's no doubt that we need a solution. Um, and, and, you know, what are some of the things that you both would, would say is, is how do we start moving this needle to be, I mean, very blunt question. No, go ahead. I like, I'm, I'm I, you know, I think these conversations are important, just like what we're having here. Um, I, I think the, 
what we do on a policy level, sort of on a, on, a, on a global level within urology, okay? So that means that AUA sort of has to take the reins and sort of in concert LUGPA, right? Like AUA and LUGPA are kind of like the, the major organizations, but we have to believe the data, right? Like we have to believe everything that we've been saying for years and years and years, and then listen to the people who are saying, this is what needs to be done. Here's how to do it. Willie and I can't be everywhere. <laughs> you know, we, 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 <laughs> Willie's in Buffalo, I'm, I'm here in Nashville, but we, we can't be everywhere. And so, you know, we need allies in all the different places and allies come in every hue and shape and color and gender. And so uh, we just have to recognize that, that there's a problem. I think sometimes um, people don't want to believe things are as bad as they are, okay? And, and a lot of the attention that is now being paid was because of the things that happened last year and the year before with, with police deaths and with COVID. And unfortunately, a lot of times it requires a lot of Black death in order to get the attention. And so I'm hoping that we don't have to die more for us to be believed and, and, and start moving it more, right? Just the same thing with opioid crisis. You had to have a lot of people die in order to get the, atten the attention that it needed. And so let's say, okay, all right, enough people have died, enough people have spoken out. These are the concrete measures that we can do. And it's been done, right? It's been done on regional scale and in different ways, okay? Uh, and, 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 and move it forward. And, and the AUA can be a really strong push for that. So to add to that, enough people have died. So there's, you know, look, look at David Satcher's work. And one thing is 89,000 additional deaths occur a year, black deaths occur a year, just because black people aren't treated as equal as whites. Same disease, different treatment, okay, right? So if we just decided that, listen, this is real, okay, as Calvin said, and we're gonna fix it. Let's bring a group of people or groups of people together and say, here's a problem. How do we solve it? And let's start doing it, right? And you can do that scientifically. You can be monitoring the work that's being done, looking at outcomes. When things don't work, you shift it to something else that, you, that may work because we're decided that we're gonna reduce this by 20% by next year. And not just say it like healthy 2020, oh yeah, we're gonna do that, no, no. And, and there's price to pay if things aren't done. Okay, right? If, you know, I mean, truth of the matter is, look, look, we can say it's because we don't have black doctors because of all this silliness, black people don't care about their education. We need to get them in elementary school. All that's BS, okay, right? I'm gonna tell you, teams, right? These college teams, they have no trouble finding black athletes. These pro teams have no trouble finding black athletes and they can find them in the worst neighborhoods in America. They can go there and find them. Okay. Right. So if we decide we want to increase the number of black physicians we have, we can put a process together and take students who are five years behind and bring them up to par through a process of, of education period. Cause I was three years behind my peers because my teachers tried to make me uneducated. Right. And then I realized that and had to educate myself, but that's the bottom line. So if I could catch up, other people can catch up. Right. So we can do this. It's just a matter of us saying, we're going to do it. 
we're going to do it today. And those, and then the solutions come out. Trust me. That's great. Um, well, I, I really want to thank you both. This has uh, really been a, a great uh, half hour uh, conversation. Hopefully, uh, as you both alluded to, just part of uh, a small part of the bigger picture that needs to occur. But I, I want to firstly thank our audience. Um, and most importantly, thank both uh, Dr. Moses and Dr. Underwood for their time and their thoughtfulness. And uh, I would encourage all of you, uh, if you want more information and certainly to hear the other elements of this podcast uh, series, please visit us at auanet.org slash university. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.